0: Revelation 21, and what I want to do is read verses 1 through 8, and then I'd like to ask Brother Jerry, if you would, to ask the blessing on the reading. Revelation 21, starting at verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful." And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful, and unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Brother Jerry, would you ask the blessing on the word? So before we dig too deeply into the text this morning, I want to make sure we have a good idea of what it is that we are about to look at. Have you ever watched one of those uh, house remodeling shows on TV, whether it's those uh, you know, twin brothers who buy a house and fix it up, or whether it's you know Chip and Joanna Gaines who get hired to renovate some old farmhouse? The essence of the shows is that they take a house that at one time it would have been something special, but it's become run down, it's become decayed, and the, the, the house they fix up would have looked pretty good at once, but out of misuse or, or mistreatment, it needs essentially a do-over. So they come along and they plan their renovations, right? You know, we'll, we'll move this wall Over here, we'll add some backsplash behind the sink. If Joanna Gaines is involved, there's going to be shiplap going somewhere. They make a plan and they fix up what it is that's broken down. You've seen that kind of thing. This world was created by God and it was created perfect and beautiful and splendid. In the beginning of the Bible, God had made the whole world and he called it very good. And then he placed Adam and Eve in a special part of that world known as the Garden of Eden. And they were given the run of the whole place to, God said, have dominion over this world. The dominion means to, to rule over, to have authority over. In other words, Adam was placed in charge of God's creation over the earth. He was to be in authority under God and over the world that God had made it would it was his dominion it was his domain look Adam had it made he was he was large and in charge as long as he maintained that domain under God's authority so how did Adam do well maybe okay for a while The one rule that God had given, the one test that God placed before Adam and Eve and all of creation was do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They could eat from all the other trees. They could exercise dominion, rule over everything. They could even eat of the tree of life in the garden and and live forever. Everything was good in creation. There was no sin in creation. Nothing was broken. Nothing died. Nothing decayed. Everything was perfect. Do you live in a world that's perfect? Things break. They rust. They decay. They die. Animals eat other animals. Tornadoes destroy towns. Lightning strikes and starts fires burning down forests. Hurricanes Flood, coastal cities, people break bones, we get sick, we get COVID, we get cancer, th- any thousand other diseases. Ultimately, we die. If God made everything good, why is it the way that it is now? Well, the first two chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, tell us how God made everything good and set Adam and Eve in authority over the world. And then in Genesis 3, it explains why everything went wrong. Satan entered into the garden in the disguise of a serpent, of a a snake. And Satan convinced Eve to rebel against God's authority by breaking the one rule that God had given. Even though God said, if they rebelled, they would die, Satan said, oh, maybe not. You won't surely die. And so Eve broke away from God's authority. And then Adam, knowing the consequences of sin, willingly rebelled against God too. That sin, the very first sin, had devastating consequences. God told told Eve that, that childbirth would become sorrowful and painful as a result. Adam was told that the earth which had once been under his authority, was going to no longer cooperate. He would have to work hard to get food to grow and to fight against the weeds and the thorns. And even more than that, by bringing sin into the world, sadness and sickness and disease and death entered into the world with it. That's why things are the way they are. That's why you live in a world that is broken and it desperately needs to be fixed. Now that should set sort of the background for our text this morning. Remember in the first two chapters of the Bible back in Genesis, there was no sin. But then Satan entered in after those two chapters. And Genesis 3 and Adam and Eve sinfully rebelled against God. Well now we have almost a mirror image in the opposite direction. Um, Satan and sin have been dealt with. We've gotten to the last two chapters of the Bible, and just before this, Satan has been cast into the lake of fire forever. All those who rebel against God and have persisted in sin are cast into the lake of fire with him. So Satan and sin have been once again removed. You see, this big reversal is taking place. Satan's been removed, sin's been removed, and with that sin taken away, everything that comes with it, like Sadness and sickness and pain and disease and death. That's getting taken away too. God's plan is to correct this broken creation. A plan for his glory. A plan that John tells us about in Revelation 21 is a new heaven and new earth. A new creation replacing this one that we're in. And so let's read it again. I saw... A new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, And he said to me, write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So John's continuing in this vision that he has received of the future, and he's being shown God's plan for how all things will work out for his glory. God created that perfect sinless world in which man was to to rule over, to have dominion over all creation, the world submitting to man's authority, even as man submitted to God's authority. That's the Lord's design. That's his plan for the world. And he's not going to change that plan. The day's coming where Satan and sin are removed from the world forever. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the perfect man, is going to rule over this creation under the authority of the Father to the glory of God. Look closely at verse 5 with me for just a second. Earlier in this book, John sees a vision of God on the throne in heaven. And in verse 5, it says, He that sat on the throne said, Behold, or look, I make all things new. Verse 1 even says, there's a new heaven, a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth were passed away. That is, this world and the atmosphere surrounding this world will be made into a new creation. This is not the only place in the Bible that teaches this truth. There's a new day coming in which this broken creation will be replaced by a perfect creation, by the perfect creator under the authority of his perfect son. 2 Peter 3, Peter writes that the heavens and earth shall pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat and the earth and all the world that are in it, it shall be burned up and dissolved. But we look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Paul says in Romans 8 that, that all creation was essentially unwillingly subjected to the effects of sin that Adam and Eve had brought into this world. And so right now, all of creation, Paul says, is like a a pregnant mother awaiting the day that a new creation is born. Here in Revelation, John doesn't have to teach about it. John sees it and he gets to describe it. So what I'd like to do is walk through this text together to see what it tells us about God's plan for a new creation. When God says he's going to make all things new, what is that going to look like? First off, it means there's no more sin-cursed world. Verses 1 and 2, there's that new heaven and new earth For the first heaven and first earth were passed away and there's no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So the Apostle Paul said this creation is groaning. It's it's like awaiting the birth of a new creation. Peter wrote this world will be dissolved. It will be, that word means to be untied. It's going to come apart. It's going to be replaced by a new heaven and new earth. Now the Apostle John sees that new heaven and new earth. But none of them were actually the first ones to receive this promise. This is actually firmly rooted in the Old Testament. Let me read Isaiah 65, 17 to you. Isaiah 65, 17 says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. These final few chapters of Revelation, the final few chapters of God's word, In many ways, they, they mirror those first chapters of the Bible. The first two chapters of Genesis describe the process of creation. The final two chapters of Revelation describe the process of a new creation. The parallels here are striking and they are not accidental. In Genesis 1 through 3, what we saw is God makes the heaven and the earth. God creates the sun, God establishes night and creates a contrast to day. God makes the seas and everything that's in them. But now in the Revelation 21 and 22, we see God make a new heaven, a new earth. He says in chapter 21, verse 23, there's, this new creation has no need for the sun. In chapter 22, verse 5, there's no night there. There's just eternal day. And John even says in our text in verse 1, there's no longer any sea. I mean, there's no coincidence in the way John's recording this, right? There's, there's clear parallels. Back in Genesis 1 through 3, we see Satan enter the world and sin is embraced and a curse is pronounced. That curse includes sorrow and, and sickness and pain and death. In Revelation, we find in chapter twenty, Satan is removed from the world. He's expelled. Sin is entirely eradicated. In chapter twenty-two, verse three, John says there is no more curse. And so, in chapter four of our verse four of our text, he says there's no more death or, or crying or pain. As much as Adam and Eve experienced paradise lost, John's vision of uh, uh, this day is paradise restored. We can't deal with all of Revelation 21 and 22 today. But understand it goes together as a unit. It's going to take some time to go through. It describes the coming eternal dwelling place of God's people. And it is glorious. We are to think about this day, to think about this place. We are to anticipate and long for this new creation and this new place in which we dwell with God. Paul told the Philippians to remember that their citizenship is in heaven. The, the writer of Hebrews described living faithfully in terms of knowing that you are a, you're a stranger, you're a, a pilgrim, you're a foreigner on this earth. But he said you're looking forward to a city whose foundations... Uh, with foundations whose designer and builder is God himself. This, that John sees, is the eternal dwelling place of believers. Now that does sort of beg the question, where are believers who've died in the Lord right now? I don't think it's wrong to say they are in heaven. The Apostle Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. They are with Jesus, but they are absent from the body. When we say they are with Jesus, what we're saying is that their soul is with the Lord. And we talk about this first resurrection back in chapter 20. It's the physical resurrection of believers. And this is the city in which God has has determined to, to place them. This is a real physical place where all the family of God will reside physically in this new creation. The word heaven that John uses in verse 1, you understand that word heaven can describe a few different things. It's it's a word that's used to describe sort of the, the physical atmosphere of the air and the clouds and the, the sky around this earth. And then there's the next strata of heaven, which has the sun, moon, and, and, and stars. We, we call it that outer space. And then in Second Corinthians, uh, Corinthians, Paul talks about a, a third heaven which is beyond all those. It is a dwelling place of God where the souls of believers are united with Him. In fact, when you look at the text, John even uses that word heaven in more than one way in verses 1 and 2. He sees a new heaven, a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth are gone. And then he sees this holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. This city is prepared like a bride, he says, adorned for her husband. We're going to need to talk about the bride again, but it's going to be in future weeks. But for now, starting at verse 9, John gets a tour of this heavenly city. In our text, though, he's getting the first glimpses of it. He says it is, it is beautiful. The word he uses for adorned is actually the the Greek word where we get our English word cosmetics from, right? To to make beautiful. This is a city that has been made beautiful, like a bride made beautiful, John says, for her husband. The Lord Jesus is still the focal point here. We're going to be united with him forever. That's actually the next thing that John's going to describe. But for now, God's making all things new. There's no more of the the current heaven and current earth. They're they're passed away. And when God makes all things new, there's no more sin-cursed world. Second, there's no more separation. When I say separation, I'm talking about separation from God. When God created mankind, we were created to be in close relationship with Him. That's where we find the greatest joy is in a relationship with our Creator. But by sin, each of us have been separated from God. Isaiah says we're like straying sheep who've wandered from our shepherd. We, We even see that separation back in the Genesis story, right? Adam and Eve After they sinned, they couldn't remain in the Garden of Eden after that. God drove them away, He put a pretty scary kind of angel called a cherubim there at the entrance of the garden, so they couldn't return. But now in this new creation, verse 3, I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. So in this new creation, it's going to be almost like restoring what was lost in the Garden of Eden in the sense that we'll have a place to be united with God. right? In the the Garden, Genesis 3.8 says that God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. So like toward evening when the day started to get cooler as nightfall came, God would come and he he would be with them, he would commune with them. In this new creation, verse 3 says God's going to be with men and dwell with humanity. They'll be his people. He will be their God. Why did Adam and Eve lose that connection with God? Why, why did there become this separation from him? It was because of sin. God is holy. He's perfect. He will not put up with sin. He will not abide with sin. He will not let sin exist in his presence. But the cure for this curse of creation began a long time before the text we're reading today. In the person of Jesus, God himself became human and lived among mankind. God the Son came to deal with the sin that separated us from God the Father. Now, he did that in two ways. First off, because of our sin, just like Adam and Eve, we've rebelled against God. We've refused to do his will and be obedient to him. But when Jesus came, he lived the perfect life that we failed to live. He never lied. He was never selfish. He never refused God's command. He lived perfectly his entire life without sin. This is the first way he reconciled us to God. He came to live for us. God required a life of perfect obedience and Jesus came and lived that perfect obedient life. But we had already failed there. There's not one of us who've ever lived the way God commands. We lie, we cheat, we steal, we're selfish, we want the things that we shouldn't have. And because of that, because we have already sinned, God's holiness requires that that sin has to be dealt with. God will judge sin. If he judges us, he would do it in holiness so that every one of us would be declared guilty, sentenced to death, separated from him forever in the lake of fire. And so this is the second thing that Jesus did to reunite us with God. He not only lived the perfect, obedient life that we should have lived, but then he also took the punishment for disobedience that we deserved. When Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't because he'd done anything wrong. He was perfect. He is perfect. When he went to the cross, it was to stand in the place of sinners to take the punishment on sin that they deserved. And so now, anyone who will repent of their sin, turn away from their sin, if we repent of our sin and we trust in Jesus, we'll be saved, we'll be restored to a relationship with God. I want to be clear here. God's new creation that John's describing here in chapter 21, this is not the new creation for everybody. It's only for those who have their sin removed, for those who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus. Without that, we still carry our sin and we will remain forever separated from God. Down in verse 8, it describes those who still carry their sin and says they will be sent to the lake of fire along with Satan. Verse 8 describes cowards and faithless and detestable and murderers and sexually immoral, those involved in occult practices, those involved in idolatry. And then if you wonder, well, does that include me on the list? Just look at verse 8 and focus in on that little word liars. I, to be clear... Do not want a show of hands. But if I asked, is there anybody in here who has never told a lie? I wouldn't be able to raise my hand. And you and I both know full well that anybody who did raise their hand saying, I've never told a lie, that would simply be another lie to add to the list of lies that they've told in their life. We've all sinned. We are all sinners at heart. And sometimes we're tempted to say, well, oh, it's just a a mistake, but that's not really true. We think, oh, well, I did something wrong, but that's not really who I am. That's not the way the Bible describes it. The way Jesus describes sin is that the source of sin is in our heart. It's not those outside things that we might do and somehow those things come and defile us. He says, no, it it starts in your heart and every sin that you commit is an expression of what you are. So you don't become a liar because you told a lie. You don't steal something and that makes you a thief. You lie because a liar is what you are. You steal because a thief is what you are. You sin because a sinner is what you are and as liars and thieves and a thousand other kinds of sins, the only hope any of us have to escape the lake of fire and be restored to a relationship with God, the only hope we have is Jesus. His perfect, obedient life. His death in our place. If you trust Jesus for salvation, you will be part of God's new creation. No longer separated from him. Right? John hears this thunderous voice from heaven saying, the tabernacle of God is with men. When you hear that word tabernacle, you think of the Old Testament tabernacle back in Exodus and and through the Old Testament until it was replaced by the temple. The idea is this is this is the place where you can come and you can be in communion with God and you can worship God. But now this city is the place, the dwelling place of God is with humanity. He will live with them, John says. They will be his people, and he will be their God. But you see then where John puts the stress here. It's not the beauty of the city, although he's going to go on to describe that. It's not the happiness of the residents, although that is part of the description. It is focused squarely on the Lord God himself. Not only is this city a dwelling place for God and man, the voice repeats the most stunning truth about this place is that he will dwell with them and God himself will be with them. What makes this eternal city a blessing is not golden streets and pearly gates, it's that God has restored lost humanity and given us a place where we can be with him no longer separated from him. And so he says in verse 3, God will live with us. He will be. We will be his people. He will be our God. So this new creation means no more sinful world. It means no more separation from God. Third, in the new creation, there will be no more sadness. I'm sure you've experienced plenty of times in your life where you've had sadness. You've cried, something got broke, someone got hurt, you got hurt, someone you loved got sick and died. You know, if you, if you remember back to when you were young, having a, a loving mother or father who you could come to for comfort was a special gift at those kind of times. But the idea here in verse 4 is that God is like this perfect heavenly father for his people. The Verse 4 says God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. What a touching picture this is that God himself will reach down and wipe away the tears from our eyes. I think the meaning of the verse isn't just that God comforts us when we're sorrowful. More importantly, this verse is telling us God has decisively dealt with all things which would ever make us sorrowful. There's no more sadness, right? If you've, if you've cried because of the death of a beloved family member or friend, verse 4 says there's no more death. If you've cried because you felt sorrow after having done wrong, well, verse 4 says there's no more sorrow because there's no more sin. If you've cried because you've been hurt by this sin-cursed world or even you know, you've know you literally fallen and got hurt verse 4 says there's no more pain look at the end of verse 4 in this new creation the former things are passed away that world is not going to be like this world now let's just take a second and think about that because there are some listen, there are some really great things about this world that we live in right now I know some of you have visited the, the Great Smoky Mountains, one of my favorite places on earth, or even the, the bigger Rocky Mountains, or you've you know, taken in some of the breathtaking regions like going to the ocean and seeing waves rolling in on the beach or the Grand Canyon or just the magnificent beauty of what God has created on this earth. One of the things about the creation that we live in is that when we realize that it is broken and as beautiful as it is, it should make us stop and wonder at what what was the beauty of creation before sin entered into the world? And what must it be like when the Lord God looks at all of this and says, I'm going to make all things new and it's going to be better than this. Do you know that there is a day coming? You know, Korah C- was in the sound of music a while back. You know, there's a day coming when the hills will literally be alive with the sound of music. Isaiah 55 verse 12 says, he shall go out with joy and be led forth with praise. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you in singing and all the trees in the field shall clap their hands. This is a picture of the joy of creation at the coming of King Jesus to reign. There's There's no more sadness found in it. All all creation, listen, all creation is going to erupt in praise of God. Mountains and hills break forth singing joyfully. Trees in the field clap their hands. Baptists are too serious to clap their hands. Trees do it and they don't even have hands. When Jesus entered Jerusalem to the rare sound of people's praising him the pharisees insisted that he had to make the disciples be quiet you remember what he said (laughs) if they hold their peace the rocks would start crying out in praise pretty much pretty sure i almost saw that happen once though in a baptist church when Isaac Watts wrote the hymn Joy to the World, he wasn't thinking about the birth of Jesus at the first coming. He was reveling in the worship of Jesus at his second coming. Right? He, he took his theme from uh, Psalm 98 and he wrote about the day where all heaven and nature sing the praises of King Jesus. Right? Let heaven and nature sing. Let, let fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. But think about this, all of that is this current creation. For all its beauty, every every time you've gone out and you've just stared in wonder at a star-filled sky or been astonished at a sunrise or sunset, the absolute grandeur of the world around you, it is beautiful and it is broken. You still have pain and death, and sorrow. So how much better is God's plan for a new creation when he says the former things are passed away and I'm going to make everything new? There's no more death and there's no more crying. and There's no more pain. What will it be like when the Lord himself reaches down and brushes the tears from your eyes so that you can behold the joy and beauty of this new creation where you get to live together with him? So this new creation means there's no more sin-cursed world. There's no more separation. There's no more... Room for sadness and tears in God's plan for creation. All all it's going to have is joy and peace and praise. Fourth, in God's new creation, there'll be no more uncertainty. When we read about this coming creation of unity with him and and praise of him, we are tempted to wonder, well, could it really be true? Is it really going to be like that? Look at verse 5. He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. John was specifically given this vision in order that he would write down what he saw. Maybe my sanctified imagination is just running wild here. But I think when we get to Revelation 21, he might have been in such awe of what he had seen that it's like he stops writing notes and God from the throne tells him he you know he, his description is he said to me write write this down because the things that you see they are true and faithful not only is it true that God will receive glory in this new creation but the truthfulness of it is based on the truthfulness of God himself he is faithful to do what he said he will do. And what he said that he'll do is make this new creation, right? I make all things new in verse 5, and that's that. Just like he got the first word in the first creation where he spoke all things into existence, he gets the final word in this final creation because it is, after all, the very next verse says he's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ends. He got the first word, he's going to get the last word, and all of his words are true. Now there's something about this word new, which tells us not only what God's going to do, but also how he's going to do it. God's the only one who can really create things new. Back in the Old Testament, God spoke all things into existence, right? He said, let there be light. And there was light. And we sometimes think that we can create, but we can't create the way God creates. The biggest difference between God's act of creation and our sort of creations is that when he makes something, he makes it new. He makes something from nothing. Some of y'all are creative sorts of people, right? I've seen... Tony throw pottery, but Tony can't make clay. I've seen Jay build a house. Jay can't make a tree. Randy and Andrew craft metal parts, but neither one of them can speak metallic elements into existence. What we call creative is actually crafty. It's taking things that exist and kind of messing around with them and putting them into a new form. That's not really new, it's just different. God alone is the creator who says he's making all things new. And when he says he makes all things new, he's not just saying he's making something different than before. He's also making something from nothing. He's making something better than before. All right, in Genesis, he made the sun and this new creation down in verse 23. We won't even need the sun. In Genesis, he made day and night. But in Revelation 22, 5, it says there's not going to be any more night here. In Genesis, Adam and Eve sinned and it brought death and sorrow and pain. But up in verse 4 of our text, God's going to make this new creation. There's no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain. God will make a new creation replacing the old creation with something new and better and permanent. And because of his faithfulness, we can be certain it's true. Right? That's what he says. I make all things new. These words are true and faithful. No more sin-cursed world. No more separation. No more sorrow. No need for uncertainty about this. Finally, in God's new creation, there's nothing but sons. Look at verse 6 and 7. He said to me, It's done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. And he that overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. When Adam and Eve sinned, the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, so they no longer had access to the tree of life. Right, we, we do see that tree of life again in Revelation 22, but in verse 6, we see a fountain of life-giving water freely available to all those who thirst. There's this water of life. I, do, I think this picture's Jesus is the same one John saw back in the Gospels in John 7 when Jesus stood up in the temple in Jerusalem one day and said, whoever's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. There's really no way to fully express the satisfaction of a man who knows himself to be a sinner and receives Jesus as Savior. But here's this kind of picture. It's like being outside in a 100 degree Illinois heat and humidity in the summer and then coming inside to a cold drink of water. When you know you're thirsty and there's water for you to drink. If you know you're a sinner, Jesus is there to receive a Savior. And when you repent of your sins and trust in Jesus as Savior, you are given victory over sin. It doesn't make you instantly perfect in this world right now in practice. There's not one Christian who doesn't still commit sin. But by faith in Jesus, you're saved from the power of sin in your life. You're saved from the penalty of sin in the lake of fire. And in this new creation, you're even saved from the very presence of sin. You will have, verse 7 describes, overcome it. John has used that word before, by the way. If you remember back when we were studying through John's letters, 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5, Whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. He who overcomes, who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And so when when he uses that word overcome again in verse 7, it's not saying that... You have managed this victory yourself. It's describing you are in this new creation because you've trusted in Jesus and through faith in him, he has given you the victory that overcomes the world. And then it says, I will be his God and he will be my son." God is glorified in this new creation because in it there's no more sin, there's only sons. If you trust in Jesus, this is you. You get to be a son, you get to be a daughter, you get to be a child of God. Even though you've sinned, even though you've rebelled, even though you don't deserve it, even though you've been disobedient, there is only one son of God who has ever lived perfectly, And yet He did it for us. He died on the cross and He rose victoriously over death for us. And the heavenliness of heaven is that we get to be united with Him forever. We get to be children of the Father through Him. We get to be sons of God through the Son of God who has allowed us to overcome. God's plan is to make, remake, restore All things for his glory. And in this new creation, there's no more sin-cursed world. There's no more separation from him. No more sadness. No more uncertainty. Nothing but sons united in faith with the Son, Jesus. The two places described in our text, both are worth our consideration. They're both worth our contemplation. They are the eternal destinies of all people. In verse 8, there is a lake of fire and brimstone. In verse 2, there's the holy city and the new heaven and new earth. In verse 8, it's the lake of fire that's the second death. But in verse 4, this new creation, there is no death. The lake of fire is made to eternally judge all those sinners who persist in their rebellion and sin. But the holy city is made to eternally bless all those in the new creation who have become new creations through faith in Jesus. And so, do you know him? Have you trusted him? Listen, he is better than a cold cup of water on a hot day. Only Jesus lived the obedient life you failed to live. Only Jesus died on the cross in place of sinners absorbing God's wrath for them. Only Jesus rose from the grave to defeat death and promise everlasting life for all who believe. And this is the place of that everlasting life where death is banished forever. You're not too young to trust him. You're not too old to trust him. You are just a sinner who is separated from God, who has a ruined relationship. But through faith in Jesus, you can be reunited with God as his child when he makes all things New. You can be with him in this new creation by becoming a new creation through faith in Jesus.